0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, July Sixth, And for the first time in quite a while, we have actual baseball stuff to talk about. The Chicago Cubs, since we last spoke, have gotten into summer camp or spring training 2.0, whatever your preferred wordage there is. But the Cubs are at Wrigley Field. They are working out on a daily basis. We've got a couple of scrimmages that we can talk about. The Cubs doing some intra-squad games, some interesting pitching matchups there, and, and obviously seeing the the Cubs hitters facing the Cubs pitchers is a lot of fun and and you know not the normal spring training simulated game behind an L screen type setup so that's fun we'll talk about that we'll talk about seeing manager David back in action and and the impressions of him that we have so far the MLB schedule coming out on Monday as well we, we kind of knew what that would look like just based on the the divisions and teams that the Cubs would be playing. But now we know where it'll start, where it'll end, what that whole thing looks like. So we will talk about that. We will talk a little bit about some of the uncertainties that that still remain, as obviously everybody's health and safety is the foremost priority here. And we'll talk about that a little bit because David Ross, Albert Almora, and Chris Bryant, speaking about that specifically on Monday as the system the MLB has set up is not exactly off to a great start in terms of how how quickly they're getting things turned around. I believe the Angels and Athletics had their workouts on Monday postponed due to delays in just getting the testing results. So some of the guys are already expressing some concerns and then not particularly happy with what's been going on there. And then, of course, we have to talk about Jose Quintana, which we did not speak about uh, last time. Obviously, it hadn't happened yet, so his injury we will have to discuss now uh, for the first time. So there's there's actually a lot going on, Brendan, and I, I think just first and foremost, though, it's pretty surreal. Some of the scenes are very weird and not really anything we've quite seen before, but it's good to see the Cubs back at Wrigley Field. They're playing baseball, And despite the surreal nature of it all, that's kind of nice to see amidst all of this.
1: And my favorite highlight from the weekend was David Ross. He's screaming, Corey, screaming at the top of his lungs, encouraging uh, Schwarber rounding second base to get to third base and scoring. So that was fun. I mean, that's the type of content you would not see in a normal year. You know, there are some like weird silver linings. It's kinda of cool to see the Cubs play intra squad games in an empty Wrigley field, just hearing the the, the sound of the bat
0: it's it's also really interesting, I think is a good word, just to see some of this stuff at an empty Wrigley Field. And like you said, you know, like watching Javi Baez face off against Cubs pitchers yeah, is very, very cool. unique and an and an interesting thing to see. And like just the the little content that they're posting throughout the day. Javi on his Instagram the other day was posting Uh, videos of him eating his lunch on the concourse behind home plate, uh, where you would normally come up the stairs and like right where I would come up the stairs and turn and go up the other stairs to go to my seats. And it's just (laughs) weird to see Javi Baez just kind of lingering around the concourse of Wrigley Field and having his meal. So a lot of weird visuals and and images coming out of this. But, uh, you know, again, like, I think we're all just trying to find a, a, as long as everybody's safe and and healthy, you know, a distraction and uh, try to find the silver linings in in all of this as Major League Baseball works to get back going here. But I I do want to start with the Jose Quintana news, because we didn't get to talk about that last time. It's it's old news at this point, but it is unfortunately something that we have to talk about, uh, and that is that Jose Quintana cut himself uh, on his pitching hand doing the dishes, Brandon Dangerous stuff. And he underwent microscopic surgery on his left thumb, uh, and I believe to repair some nerve damage in there and he is expected to start throwing in two weeks, and then they will determine how long he will be out. Um, obviously yeah. not the news that you are looking for, really in, at all in a vacuum, uh, but especially in a season that is 60 games. So just your... The first thing I want to... We'll get to like the, the implications and the gut reactions to this, but where does this rank on cubs injuries because this is certainly not the first time this is weird right <laughs> cutting your hand doing the dishes but like i think of sammy sosa sneezing, sneezing and throwing his back out Tomorrow. brandon morrow i believe it was just this spring i couldn't remember if it was this spring or last spring but hurt himself putting his pants i thought on. that was last spring maybe it was this spring I mean, for it him, it's like every other week, goal. so like, I don't Love know. the guy, but you just, it's <laughs> right. hard to keep it all straight. But yeah. putting his pants on, that's that's pretty high. Carrie Wood. And I, I couldn't Kerry remember Wood slipping if, out of the bathtub. and I don't know if, if you do, but did Carrie Wood hurt his, his back he did. like getting out of a hot tub bathtub. or taking out the garbage? Bathtub. Yeah. Slipped on the bathtub. That's actually understandable, Somebody though. did
1: it taking out the garbage, didn't they? Probably, but I'm forgetting who that was. Maybe it was Carrie yeah. Wood twice doing that. You never know.
0: Yeah. So uh, it, it's hard to know exactly where this ranks on weird Cubs injuries, right? I, I guess it's just a lot more normal when a guy's like, you know, pulls up lame after a pitch or rounding first base or something like that. Uh, wasn't exactly expecting to get up one morning and see that Jose was out for, in, in you know, indefinitely because he cut himself doing the dishes, but that is something that happened. And so... I want to just get to, like, the the gut reaction to this injury and what it means simply for this team in a 60-game season.
1: My gut reaction is more centered on the luxury tax, Corey. I I figured it would be. uh, Yeah, I mean, look, losing depth is never a good thing. That being said, I'm interested in who's going to take that spot. I've always been interested in the past few months— On what Alec Mills looks like, what Tyler Chatwood will look like in a you know a more stable role in the rotation, but not only those two guys, you have Jerrell Cotton, who the Cubs just got from the A's, and four years ago, it seems like a while ago, he was compared to having a changeup among the best pitchers in the league, and according to all the Statcast metrics, a lot of the spin rate and that type of movement. Does match what you would expect
0: to see from those top tier pitchers. And so I'm excited about it. once this all restarts, the luxury tax, whether people want to talk about it or it's a exciting topic or not, it is something that matters for the future of this franchise and how they're going to proceed with certain decisions. And we talked about, you know, Q's kind of value in that regard. I think that the gut reaction for me is that obviously, anything that is kind of a stress test on your depth is not good. You don't want that. Jose has been not necessarily the pitcher you would have hoped for when you acquired him in the trade with the White Sox, but one thing he has been is consistent. He's a guy that's going to go out there. He's going to make those starts. He's going to get you a lot of quality innings, and there's going to be certainly more games than not where he is keeping that offense in the game. And that's that's valuable. Somebody that you can rely on to hit those start markers and innings markers year in and year out is valuable. However, it's not as valuable at all in a 60-game season. And I think that the type of pitcher Quintana is, if I told you You know, if I could see into the future and I told you that Chatwood or Mills or some combination thereof or someone like Cotton or anybody else that they're looking at, Adbert, if he gets in there, if I told you that those guys put up however many it is, eight, nine, ten starts, whatever it ends up being— they were better than Quintana. Would you really be that shocked? Is it that crazy to suggest that one or multiple of those guys or a combination thereof could put up the numbers that Q could in those starts? I don't think that that's impossible at all. I think it's actually kind of likely. We've seen, despite how wild he can be at times, we've seen Chatwood put together strings of of really nice outings, and especially in a season like this, where durability and length over the course of six months is not a priority, I I think that you can definitely see Tyler Chatwood or Mills or any of these guys going out there, and even if it's just for three or four innings, just to get the game going, and then you piece together how you're going to get the outs from there, Tyler Chatwood can give you three quality innings, uh, you know, like more often than not. And if he's completely wild and erratic, like we've seen in his time with the Cubs, then they'll make a different decision. But I think that when you're talking about such a small number of starts, Quintana's not one of those guys who I think is tipping the scales one way or another for the Cubs. You need that depth to step up. Step up. And like I said, you'd, you'd much rather QB out there and not have to test your depth, right? But you, Darvish, and Kyle Hendricks are those guys primarily who you're looking at as these guys with their stuff and what they've been doing in the last couple years, especially you in that second half last year. These are the guys that are the difference makers as far as the starting pitchers. And I think John Lester can be, especially in a shortened season. Um, but. Those are the guys you're really looking at to be difference makers. They're going to go out there and you can see a handful of games. You, Darvish, is going to win this game for you. Kyle Hendricks is going to win this game for you. John Lester is going to win this game for you. I just don't see that happening as often with Quintana. And I don't see it happening more often with him than one of these guys that might replace him. So I think it's a blow. Because you need these guys to step up and now you, you kind of move everybody else up and if one of these guys fails then you know it gets thinner and thinner and thinner so it, it, it's not to say it's a good thing but of all the people to miss time you know cutting themselves doing dishes <laughs> I don't think this is one that you immediately go oh man the Cubs are screwed like you know this this is deeply harming their playoff chances I just don't think it does Yeah, and uh, you know we'll see you, you you need these guys to step up we'll see how it plays out but I just don't I think over the course of an 162 game season, Q's value of being a stable middle to back end of the rotation guy and knowing you can send him out there, he's going to give you those starts and those innings, and he's going to be there. Right? It's so much more valuable in a a full season, in a 60 game season. It just doesn't matter as much. That's that's just the reality of it. At least that's how I see it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not to like. Play down the value of Quintana. It goes. It goes back to depth. The value that Q provided, which was longevity, making your starts despite the two pitch guys. But there are a lot of exciting players on this Cubs roster right now. I'm looking at Cotton. He's he's one guy that we did not get to talk about him that much in spring training, and I wish we did because he's so interesting. He's a guy who came back from injury last year and he struck out in a small sample almost 12 guys per nine innings in triple a and he scrapped his slider that that's interesting so he was showing this weird mix and this like adjustment from going what used to be kind of like a slider sinker fastball and then you know changeup guy started throwing more changeups and maximizing some of those changeups which again that was his pitch fan graphs rated Cotton's changeup when he first came up, Corey, on a 70-80 scale. That suggests that Fangraphs, some scouts, believe Cotton's changeup was better than almost 95% of big leaguers. That's a big deal. He still has that. You just have to try to find a way to maximize that. And we've seen Hadivy, we've seen Breslo talking about active spin rate, spin efficiency. We just had you know, Bro Caraway, come on and talking about the exact same terms. These are things that the Cubs are trying to identify, bring out the best with their players. And Cotton does represent that person.
0: Right. And I and I think just to, to make this clearer, again, I, I don't want this to seem like dismissing Q or his value. So I, yeah. I, I want to make this, and I think we've made that clear, but I, I do want to even paint that picture further. Like since 2013, Q has pitched 200 innings five times. He's pitched 180 or 170 three times, right? So, excuse me, 204 times. So, and he's made at least 32 starts every season since 2013, 31 in 2019, but he pitched in 32 games. So that over the course of 162 games has real, real value. Like, even though I know a lot of people are, are... always disappointed in the trade. They look at the potential that Eloy has and that Dylan Sees has, and they're disappointed about that. But there's real value. You pay a premium for a guy that can go out and give you 30-plus starts close to 200 innings or 180-plus every single season. There is value in that over the course of a 162-game season. And especially when you're thinking about pitch management for the bullpen and other pitchers on the staff, having a guy that can go out there and eat those innings and you can rely on to pitch in those games and and make those starts it has real value. But in a 60-game season with someone like Rowan Wick or Bradwick or Kyle Ryan or, or some of these other relievers, you are not as concerned with them getting run into the ground. It doesn't mean you can pitch them every day. It doesn't mean that Rowan Wick can pitch three innings every day, right, whenever David Ross needs him. But there, there's just a huge difference in, I think, the value that Quintana provides in these different types of seasons. So I think if this were somebody else, the reaction would be a lot different. But I, I, I just don't think that it's impossible for one of these other guys to provide that same value over such a short period of time. If you were asking Tyler Chatwood to make 30 starts and pitch 200 innings... And uh, you no needed to pencil that in, that is a very different conversation than the one that we are having right now. Yeah. And and what you're asking Chatwood to do and Mills to do right now. So I think that's why it just doesn't feel like a, an immediately significant blow. Perhaps it could turn out that way, right? But it just it feels like something that they are equipped to weather. So that's I think where we are with that. Again, it's it's unfortunate news, but I I think that given the structure of this season and the way that this roster is built, I think the Cubs can get past this. I think they can work through this, and we'll see. I mean, perhaps Q is available mid-season toward the end of the season. I, I don't really I, yeah. know. I don't mean, I don't, I don't think you can expect that though, right? Like he no. has he has nerve damage. Yeah. That's like a coin flip from what yeah. I've heard. So you know. but perhaps right you got to test that depth, but I think that this is okay. I don't think this is a a reason to panic this early on. So do you want to transition to what we have seen from the guys at Wrigley Field? Uh, A couple of intra-squad scrimmages that we saw just a a few innings here or there, but getting to see this in action. And we started with, and I, I tweeted something to this exact effect, but one of uh, just an incredible juxtaposition as it relates to starting pitchers in the first intra-squad game, which was Hugh Darvish versus Kyle Hendricks. There's something so beautiful about those two squaring off against one another. You have Hugh Darvish, who now with the supreme pitch is somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 varieties of pitches, right? Throws sometimes hitting 100, sits in the upper 90s, changing speeds it just at an incredible level, right? devastating stuff all over the place, and a guy that shows emotion. He's fiery. He's on Twitter roasting people. He's, he's just that kind of guy, right? And then you have Kyle Hendricks, who sits in the high 80s. You maybe will get a smile and a clap out of him on any Given day, you know, Hendrix you has you know smiled better, more I, I, lately. I feel like he gets a bad yeah. reputation about that. He's
1: a pretty smiley that's, dude. That's fair. He's yeah. not
0: hap levels of not smiling. Right, more just those outbursts of emotion we do not get. Right, and someone who's a master of tunneling and changing speeds and changing eye levels. And they're both really good. And they're both on the Cubs. And that's just really cool. So I I just love, we don't obviously ever get to see them face off against one another uh, when they're both on the same team. So seeing them matched up against one another, it was just kind of fascinating. You you know they're both going to dominate. Nobody scored any runs. And they do it in very, very different ways. Uh, So I just thought that was fun. And I think the main takeaway. Then, then we had uh, the guys we just discussed. We had Alec Mills and Tyler Chatwood go in that second game. The offense was more involved in those games. Uh, Alec Mills had the better outing than Tyler Chatwood. Ian Hap was on the the Compound Podcast on Monday talking about how difficult uh, Mills was to face and mm-hmm. you know some of the the bad hacks that he took against him. But I think what really stands out to me, and again, we're we're getting kind of limited footage of this marquee is providing some of the highlights from the games from a camera uh, in sort of those first rows of Wrigley Field, and we're getting sporadic coverage from some of the beat writers. But what really stands out to me, Brendan, just from, you know, again, perceiving this from the outside, is David Ross's attitude and the team's attitude toward no doubt. this. Um I, I don't, Think I was expecting anything else, so it, it's not necessarily a surprise. Um, but these seemed pretty intense, like these guys see they showed up for this summer camp ready to go, and David Ross has been intense, like you said. Kind of urging Schwarber on to get that next base, uh, yelling throughout these these scrimmages at the players, at the runners, at everybody, and you know it. It seems like there's just a, a fierce level of competition going on right now in these games, and to. Again, like they're they are all they all know that they're in this together. They have to trust each other to be safe. And when they're going out and going to their families or whatever they're doing outside of the ballpark, and and when they're coming in, they they it really feels like they are all bought in on. Look, we're here. This is a weird season, but let's you know put our foot on the gas and really mm-hmm. kill this. That's that's the vibe that came totally. out of this first set of scrimmages to me. Yeah, and David Ross too. You can tell he has these guys back. Not that
1: Madden never did, but one quote that stood out to me was in regards to testing, Ross was saying that the guys were telling him personally that they were not comfortable with the amount of testing being done. So what does Ross do? He goes to Major League Baseball and tries to vouch on his players' behalf to get more testing. Baseball's failing pretty hard right now at the testing, but the point being is that there is clear communication avenues, if you will, that may or may not have existed with Madden. Madden was known for his communication. But there has to be a different type of relationship. And that relationship carries a different type of communication when you talk about how Rizzo and Ross communicate, or how Lester and Ross communicate. These guys are former teammates. It's a a weird, different relationship that has unique advantages I think but going back to that like Schwarber example like Corey he was screaming dude I made the joke but imagine Madden during these intra squad games
0: yeah right yeah
1: it, it's, it's a completely different atmosphere and it's not like I'm not bashing Madden here he's going to do what he wants to do in his best interest and in the team's best interest but In my mind, Madden would have been like in the dugout, sipping iced tea on his iPad, letting Hadevi, you know, control the pitchers, letting Ayaposi control the hitters. Ross Corey is the one moving the batting cage. He's the one like. Acting as the bucket boy behind second base. He was out there turning double play. I'm telling you, dude. Like he's doing jobs that like freshman JV baseball players would do for a high school baseball team. And you would never get that from Joe Madden. So I yeah, I do I do think that Ross acting like this on the field, communicating, pushing his guys, listening to his guys, addressing some of the hard questions. From the last two years, I can't imagine Madden doing that. He because he's going to go about it a different way. But I just can't imagine
0: him doing that. Well, and I think not to keep harping on this example of Schwarber going for the triple, but it was fun. Again, we don't have that much footage to work off of, so this is kind of one of the best examples. But you you just get the sense that like Ross isn't screwing around, no right? Way. And let's say on that play, Schwarber only gets to second, right? He doesn't bust it out of the box. Like you get the feeling and just like watching this and listening to everything else that ross has said like he'd be on him he'd hop out of the dugout in the middle of this scrimmage and he would be on him about why he's not at third base or they talk about it afterward like you really get the impression and we've talked about this and and why it was important to make the change in the first place and where the cubs were failing in the past couple years and how poorly they ranked and in some categories that reflected a lot of sloppiness like you you just and again we haven't seen an, an actual baseball game that counts we only got a handful even of the spring training games before this all got shut down so we we, we got to see how it plays out right but just the impression that you get is that ross is not going to tolerate those little slip-ups no. and you know cutting corners and making those little mistakes that turn into big mistakes or that turn into you ranking dead last in outs on the bases or things like that and again it's it it's not only embodied in that one play with Kyle hitting a you know getting to third base on a triple but just the the general attitude and the way that Ross has been talking that is the vibe that you get and you want to play is, for someone like that like you want yes. that
1: again everyone's different but if i were a player i want someone in that authority position to be backing me like that and it's different to let's compare, like Mike Matheny or Joe Girardi, they they may do the same thing. We, we're not hearing it. They may be screaming at their players, "Hey, get the third. But you know, Corey, it comes from a different like place in your heart. Like I feel like with Ross, his motivation to doing that is because he genuinely wants to get the best out of Schwarber for Schwarber. Where I feel like for like Matheny and Girardi, they're more like a drill sergeant. They're just doing it because that's the way things need to be done, and that's where i think there's a difference and maybe that example best illustrates kind of what we've been talking about with like that drill sergeant mentality that we've seen from guys in the past that's not really what ross is however if you did not know who ross was and you heard him saying that and screaming you may get that impression but it's just it comes from a different place in his like heart i feel like i think it like kind of like sentimental but i i really do believe that
0: Right. And so just to read some of Ross's own words, he he talked about, you know, the need to obviously with guys coming out of being quarantined and and everybody having different resources and workout programs just to stay in shape, you know, obviously not – having guys dial it up to a thousand the minute they step on the field. you know you, you you pace yourself to a little bit but then he goes on to say, quote, but there's no substitute for live looks. We learn so much from the interactions of competing that I want these guys to start turning that dial up a little bit They've done the work now it's time to get back to learning how to compete at a high level again. So, you know, it, it just shows like he's, he's not expecting anybody to, you know, be dying out there on the field in the middle of a scrimmage, but he wants these guys playing at the highest level. He talked about the importance of the pitchers and the, and the hitters, both being able to get those high quality live looks against each other. That's the best way to prepare. And the best way to do that is if everybody's giving it their all and if everybody's got that intensity dialed up to an 11. So that's just the vibe that we get. I I talked about on the last episode how I really thought that David Ross was the perfect person for this moment, especially. I think he'll be a great manager for his entire career for the Chicago Cubs when seasons are normal, 162 games, etc., but I think he's uniquely perfect for this moment, and I think his relationship with these guys is an asset in this situation, and his ability to focus on intensity but also be mindful of the bigger backdrop around him, you know, with, with the the virus and everything surrounding it, I really think he's perfect for this. and And nothing that we've seen in these first few days has... Changed my mind in in any of that. I, I feel just as confident in that uh, now as I did beforehand. I, I think that he is the perfect person for this, and he is going to have these guys as ready as they can be by the time we get to actually playing these games. Brendan, was was there anything else? I, I you know I I know that you're. Uh, an obsessor over you darvish and the stuff he was doing i know that he broke out the supreme but anything else in these games just from what we've been able to read or see that stood out to you that that you're you're looking forward to um or just kind of good to see everybody back there that's a combination of both it's
1: it's fun to see javi you know doing his thing and schwarber you know hitting triples and kb hitting bombs during batting practice like that's all fun to see It, it was Pretty noteworthy, at least to me, to watch like that at bat between Hendricks and Chris Bryant. I don't know if you saw that, but like mm-hmm. the way that at bat ended, Chris Bryant struck out against a high fastball from Kyle Hendricks. That stood out to me because one, Hendricks has been working the past few months of you know the 2019 season. He was working on the past few months elevating that fastball, elevating not just the four seamer but the sinker too, which is like in my mind kind of like a weird counterproductive thing to do. But that's what he was doing. And you, you saw Chris Bryant like get fooled on it. And Chris Bryant, too, was working against hitting those high fastballs. So it was like a weird mix in my mind. Those are the two trends I've been following for those two guys for like two years now. It's fun to see Hendricks striking out Chris Bryant on a high fastball, which is what he's been working on. And Chris Bryant because he struck out against a high fastball knowing he needs to work and continue to adapt and get better on that and we had you know mike bryant on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about bryant's ability to get to those high fastballs and the improvements and the adjustments they've made specifically to his posture i don't know it was just kind of fun to see and it, it's it, it's such a contrast when you have you darvish striking out guys with 99 mile per hour high fastballs and then Kyle Hendricks with his eighty-eight doing the exact
0: same thing. It just it, it it's fun to see. So one thing I wanted to follow up with just when you were talking about Hendricks, uh, there was a point in that first scrimmage where Bryant singled to load the bases uh, in the second inning, uh, but the inning ended because of a pitch count, and the team that was facing Hendricks was booing from the dugout because. Rizzo wasn't allowed to hit um and then after the game he was asked by the beat reporters if he wanted to face Rizzo with the bases loaded instead of having the inning end due to a pitch count and Hendricks responded I put up a zero (laughs) yeah this is great that's it so I mean you gotta (laughs) love it I mean especially when the guys that don't like overflow with personality give you stuff like that I I love that um and it, it's it's also I mean hopefully we we start to see more of this, but you know we we do get little glimpses like the the team booing when that happened, and uh like you said, David Ross yelling from the dugout and stuff like that, yeah that was great. it's it, it, you know this is the stuff that we might get, like I said, it's unique circumstances, but these guys are alone at Wrigley Field playing against each other it It should lead to some funny interactions, you know some trash talking and uh other stuff going on as they're you know, just trying to have fun and and keep things light and make the best of it as they're getting themselves ready. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And, you know, obviously, we have not seen everybody, right? Uh, John Lester is there, but he uh, has not participated in one of these scrimmages yet. I think Coddy saying the other day that, you know, just because of where John is in his career and his age, not trying to waste too many bullets. More concerned about just getting himself in the right shape and, uh, you know, get himself uh, to where he needs to be for when this. And is we all still starting. have almost three weeks too, so there's no yeah, rush. Yeah, yeah. So we still have some guys we need to see. Obviously, there's plenty of relievers and some of these other pitchers that we've yet to see. Um, so there's plenty to wait and 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 you know react to. And I think. Something we always talk about in regular spring training, but always a good caveat to remind everyone of, like, this is just the first—they just got to this training camp after participating in a regular spring training, then shutting everything down, then having to ramp things up again, like— like I, I know it's going to be an intense season and trust me i will be as much of a psychopath as ever when now the games count for even more uh each individual game but like you know chatwood gave up some runs in that first scrimmage and you've got people like oh here we go with chatwood again like come on guys you you got to relax a little bit like th- this is the fir- this is a, the first literally the first live hitting after months of sitting in a quarantine, like, give it give it a second. Let these guys get back out there, get their legs underneath them. We will be right there with you to freak out if things don't look right. You know, when the, the Cubs are going to have, I think, three exhibition games with the White Sox and the Twins. I think two with the White Sox, one with the Twins towards the end of July here. So we'll freak out if we need to freak out. But one scrimmage at the beginning of this new training camp amidst everything going on, I think we can you know hold off on on judgment uh for now before we we freak out about things so still plenty to come uh more to see from these guys but I think that's, uh, you know, what we have from these workouts. Uh, you know, again, they're, they're, once we get closer to the end of summer camp, it we, we, you know, as we mentioned the last time, still some questions to answer. What does that final roster look like? Do they make any additions to that 60-man squad? What exactly do the Cubs decide to roll with? And then hopefully as we go along here— uh, maybe, especially in those exhibition games, we start to get more of an idea of the lineup that David Ross is leaning toward. Obviously, it's a bit more difficult to figure that out when the Cubs are playing themselves, and you have uh, Rizzo and Baez on different teams. A little harder to figure out exactly what's going on. I think Daniel Descasso was playing shortstop in one of these games, so no, can't, can't exactly happen. read into uh, <laughs> you know what's going <laughs> on here as far as uh, David Ross's decision-making. So plenty to come. Uh, I kind of have to, at least for a few weeks here, settle into this this new reality of, of workouts and scrimmages and stuff like that at Wrigley Field, but there is plenty to come and plenty to pay attention to. I want to turn uh, now to Chris Bryant, if if I may, Christopher Lee Bryant, if you guys will allow me to discuss Christopher Lee Bryant, uh, and just some of the things that he said on Monday. And namely, uh, the most important thing that I thought he said, and I will read this quote, uh, he was asked if the sort of situation around this pandemic and everything going on and it, just the way that things have proceeded has, has changed or had any effect on, you know, his likeliness to sign an extension or, or things like that. And he said, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be discussing that In the middle of you know this particular situation, just because there's so much going on, and uh, you know that's not necessarily the priority. Uh, But he did say, "quote I would like to think that I wouldn't be shipped out in the middle of a pandemic," referring to obviously the trade rumors. And then he went on to say, "But I'm trying to make it clear that I really love it here. I love playing here, and I love everything about the city and the people." You want to be around people that want you and care for you. And I've certainly felt that being a Chicago cub. Brendan, extend this man for life, please. Chris Bryant genuinely loves being
1: a Chicago cub. And there are so many quotes from today's, you know, presser and interview, whatever you want to call it. But he just to paraphrase said, he wants to be and he values staying with people who have helped bring him to this point in his career and you get in the mind of chris bryant what would that mean one that would mean playing with like your you know your friends rizzo and the rest of the guys two the familiarity with chicago and the familiarity with his you know coaching staff now three especially that coaching staff consisting of david ross there is value to that like david ross was the veteran when chris bryant was a rookie right so in, in my mind, Brian values family, values camaraderie, values loyalty. These are things that have never changed over the last three years. And yeah, he filed a grievance, but that was like more of a, a logistical thing. Like that's just something that you kind of have to do for the sake of not only yourself, but for the sake of just the league in general. And I guarantee you, Corey, every one of his teammates supported Brian doing that. I, I guarantee you Rizzo supported him doing that. And so this is this is like not news to me. It's great to hear him like talk about this, but this is to be expected. This guy wants to be a cub. Now he needs his market value, but I wouldn't even be surprised if he goes below market value at this point. I, it would not shock me whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, like we've gone through this many times. I I, I really just take any excuse to demand that he be extended. (laughs) But, you know, this is just the guy you want to extend. I mean, there's certainly other candidates on the team. I I don't want it to come off as choosing one over the other. We want them uh, all, like Them all, yeah. But like Chris Bryant, he was drafted by this team. He comes up with this team. He is an exemplary human being and representative for your team for your city he's exactly the person that you want to just keep in your organization for as long as you can and if not for some injuries you know some of them of of the rather freak variety I think of getting hit in the face right like this is a top player in baseball I've gone through this a million times but like there's two players that have accumulated more wins above replacement as a position player than Chris Bryant since 2015, and it's Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. Like, that's the list. So it's just one of those things where he wants to play here, right? Like, I I understand how the business of baseball works and the payroll and the luxury tax, yada, 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 right? But You gotta like when you this is what you dream of when you draft players is that they're going to win rookie of the year win an mvp in the year that you win the world series after 108 years and are just a wonderful wonderful ambassador for your team and, and for your city and for your brand like what more could you possibly want and again he's not the only person that fits well the mvp and the rookie of the year criteria but the other criteria, like there's other guys that fit that, right? Javi Baez was also drafted by the Chicago Cubs. He's also an exemplary human being and someone you want representing your organization. He's also very, very good, if you haven't noticed. Like, so he's not the only person that fits this. Anthony Rizzo wasn't drafted by the Chicago Cubs, but I think he fits all of those criteria. Well, I mean, as he well. kind of was by proxy, the same for Yes, draft technically. Them, so, he was drafted you know. by the same staff. Right. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Uh so it's not just Chris Bryant but it, when you hear this stuff and you hear him talking about this and you know that he's had to endure some of these trade rumors like it it does get a little frustrating as a as a fan of the Cubs and a, a fan of his to, you know, like he's, it feels like he's putting out that signal as strongly as he can. Like, I would really like to just stay here if you would like to just extend me a longer contract. Really think that they should do that uh, and figure out how to move the money, you know, uh, in in different ways that, that don't involve not extending some of their other great players. But I did just want to read that. I also, you know, really, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't note that he referred to his son Kyler as a big chunkster. In that same interview, which I just find particularly adorable, it's not exactly news, but just something that uh, has been making me smile for most of the day. Uh, so that's where we are with that. Now, I, as I said in the beginning, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the testing situation and, and just some of this. And I, you know, I know with baseball coming back, we want it to be a distraction, and we want everybody to be healthy and safe, uh, and you know, not necessarily focus on this element of it too much, but I think what's happened in this first weekend warrants discussion. And I think if you're not aware of it, you probably should be, uh, because I do think this affects the potential viability of all this happening, right? And so basically the gist of what's happening is Major League Baseball set up The testing situation, how they were going to collect the tests, the lab that they're sending it all to, however this process is working, is not necessarily controlled by the teams. The teams are, of course, the ones running it, uh, but the entire infrastructure was set up by Major League Baseball, and it has not gone very well. As I alluded to in the beginning, uh, the Angels and Athletics, I think in particular, were teams that noted that they have not had their tests come back. Uh, within the the certain time frame. So they were supposed to have workouts on Monday, but they did the tests and they didn't get them back yet. So they didn't know the results. And so they didn't feel comfortable heading out there. Uh, And even Chris Bryant saying today that they had guys who got tested that first Sunday that everybody, you know, got back in Chicago or whatever and, you know, they still hadn't gotten results or they, or excuse me, they hadn't been tested for a second time since that first one. And, you know, what he was saying was, you know, what we agreed to was we're going to get tested every couple of days. The results are going to come back as soon as they can. And, you know, that's how we're going to kind of keep this process flowing. Uh, And he expressed concern. You know, he was like, look, I was on the fence about playing. I I didn't want to opt out. I couldn't imagine opting out. I I had no interest in doing that, but obviously for my own health, for my wife's health as a new father with a newborn, it was something I was concerned about. And the way that this has started has not exactly calmed those concerns. Albert Almora expressing a similar sentiment and David Ross talking about how he spoke with the league office or the league representatives that he's able to speak to and expressed that he was pretty pissed off about this. He said, you know, this is a unique situation and they assured me that they're going to get it right, that they're going to, you know, clean all of this up and I want to allow, you know, at least some room for, this is a unique process, and, you know, if there's mistakes, then we can allow people to fix them. Uh, but at the same time, mm. he was really pissed off about it. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's something that I wanted to bring up because, you know, while it feels like they're back, we're watching these scrimmages, we're watching Javi Baez face off against Hugh Darvish and Chris Bryant face off against Kyle Hendricks, and it feels like they're back. The schedule is out, which we'll talk about next, and it feels like baseball's back. But they gotta clean this up man and and the fact that major league baseball however this is happening right i, I think in some of the teams that they, they just didn't the testers didn't show up and you know like maybe because it was a holiday weekend this past weekend i don't know uh but it, it it's unacceptable and you have guys too like the angels are one of these teams where they're concerned about the tests and not getting the results like mike trout has said i'm still on the fence about playing this like so major league baseball's handling of this, the, the first and foremost priority is that it's putting everybody at risk, right? This needs to be tight, 100% tight and perfect and seamless for how they're doing this to keep everybody safe and, and to keep this process going the right way. But at the same time, it's it's also just putting in jeopardy the, I don't know, I don't want to say legitimacy, but just like if you if you're Setting up a situation where Mike Trout, the best player in the world, is just going to be like, "Nah, screw this. Like this is too risky. You guys don't have this cleaned up. I'm out of here." It it just can't happen. You, You can't have stuff like this. And so I think it's it's an it's the reason I wanted to bring it up is because a again, like I said, like it it all affects whether this gets off the ground, right? But further than that, it's really disappointing after the first week of this to be reading some of the players going, yeah, I was a little uncomfortable with the idea and now I'm more uncomfortable, right? Or I I, I showed up to camp really wanting to do this and do it right and, and believe that everything was gonna be great and now I'm a little uneasy about it. That's really disappointing and, and and I and I feel for these players, right? Like, you know, you feel for them. They're they're trying to commit to this, they're trying to buy into this, they're gonna trust each other to do the right thing. And, you know, M L B or whoever's doing these testing is not you know, on the ball for this first weekend. So I, I, I mean, I, I, really feel for them, and and I do want to reiterate. And it, at least this was the sentiment uh, from and a letter that I believe uh, the Oakland Athletics GM sent to the players, and and just his communication with the players. It, the, the sentiment is that their staff did everything that they could, right, to collect things and do things the right way, and it again was the MLB's structure that was messing things up. So if there's something going wrong, at least by the sound of it, it has nothing to do with the Cubs medical staff or what the Cubs are doing or any of the policies or infrastructure that they've specifically put in place. It's the problem once it's handed off and whatever is happening on the other side of that. So it's just disappointing. It just can't happen. I mean, people's health and safety is on the line. And they spent, at least it seemed, through the leaks to the media, weeks debating this in terms of before they came to an agreement. Uh, So it's just, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, you had three different Cubs, Brendan, on Monday talking about how uneasy this made them felt and how pissed off they were about it.
1: Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. There's no excuse. There's zero room for error, and there's There's no sympathy for Major League of Baseball. They got to get this cleaned up, man. Like, if I'm a player, I'm not playing. You have one chance you can't get testing right on the first weekend, Corey. The first weekend. Yeah. The same day you're releasing your schedule, it's being clouded because you can't test 15% of your players. That pisses me off. That should piss every fan off. Not only... It's in this is not from like a fan's point of view. I don't want Chris Bryant getting sick. I don't want his infant getting sick. Yeah, the human sick. being. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want John Lester and Anthony Rizzo, two cancer survivors, getting exposed to this because you can't test your players. That's unacceptable, dude. That cannot happen and there, like there there is just no excuse for it I, and Alberto Mor is being like too nice with that saying oh this is uncharted territory even informationly based no f that dude you have got to get this right for a variety of reasons but foremost is the ethical nature of testing and protecting your employees. If you're going to put them in a scenario where you cannot socially distance, you are touching the same objects among 20 players at one time. You are going against the social distancing nature that the CDC is putting out. You best damn well protect your guys by getting them tested when they need to be tested. There is no room for error. Even 72 hours is just a complete joke. Corey is a complete joke. So when I heard that, that pissed me off. Not from like my fan selfish point of view of me wanting to watch baseball, but you got to protect these guys, man. And not only that, if baseball is shut down, you're also jeopardizing the livelihoods of those employees who need baseball, who write about baseball, who sell food for baseball because baseball is there. That was a joke whoever is yeah. in charge of organizing that type of testing should be immediately let go Corey that just cannot happen
0: yeah and I mean again like this we knew like that this was going to be a thing we knew that this was something that was of the utmost importance. we knew that it had to be perfect and had to be right and you know you had time. To figure that out, and and it's not just one team reporting that they're having issues with this. Fifteen percent like of, of
1: your them. players, dude. Fifteen yeah. percent of your players cannot get tested. That's that is a catastrophe. That cannot yeah. happen.
0: And you'll forgive me for not giving the MLB any benefit of the doubt after no. the way we saw them handle those negotiations. So <laughs> that's where that is. Like I said, really, just wanted to bring it up because you know some of the Cubs were pretty outspoken about it. And again, you know, this is when you're looking at. The viability of all this? Are they going to get this season in? Is it going to work? How's it going to work? This is one of those issues, and it's popping up right away. So, uh, I mean, the first weekend,
1: the first weekend pops up. Yeah,
0: absolutely, something on. to keep an eye on. So, want to finish here uh, just with some notes on the schedule. As we we already knew that it was going to be the NL Central and the AL Central for travel concerns. Uh, when you look at the schedule, the Cubs actually coming out, I believe, with the second amount of travel. I think the Brewers were the least, but it's a negligible difference. Uh, And the NL Central and the AL Central both coming in well under. uh, Some of those, I believe, uh, teams out west have quite a bit more travel miles uh, to go. So that is uh, somewhat of an advantage. Obviously, everybody you're competing with is also at that same advantage. But, you know, just thinking of it from a logistical perspective, you know, David Ross was talking about too, like, you play the White Sox a bunch, you can take BP at Wrigley. you can prepare at Wrigley and drive on over to uh, what? What do they call that now? Guaranteed Rate Field is that still yeah. what it's called? Whatever, yeah, whatever that is on, on you know, the, the yeah. other Chicago baseball team. Uh, we'll we'll call them that, uh, you know. And then obviously with the Brewers, they're they're a short way away. Uh, so there's certainly some advantages there. But in terms of how it's actually going to play out, the Cubs will officially open the season at six ten Central on July 24th on ESPN with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, those first few series, the Brewers, the Reds, the Pirates, the Royals, the Cardinals, and then the first off day of the year for the Cubs is on August 10th. Uh, and then just kind of getting an idea of how it all plays out. The season ends. uh, The Cubs have an off day on the 17th of September. They have a three-game set with the Twins at Wrigley Field. They have a four-game set at the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then they finish with a three-game set at the White Sox. So again, you can kind of read into that however you like. Uh, Obviously, I think it's nice To play the Tigers and the Royals uh, and potentially the Indians. (laughs) You kind of never really know with them. But, uh, you know, there's some bad teams in there, right? A lot of games against the Pirates as well. Unfortunately, everybody else in the NL Central is at that same advantage. So that's kind of what the schedule looks like. Uh, One weird note that came out from the Cubs historian Ed Hardig is that, you know, there will be no... uh, Friday afternoon games, which I believe Mm. is the first time that that is going to happen. Uh, Obviously, if you are a frequent visitor of Wrigley Field, you know how fun those games are and kind of going to the game on a Friday afternoon and then heading out for a Friday evening and a nice weekend. Uh, So obviously with no fans, it doesn't specifically matter as much, but that is the first time in Cubs history that there will be no Friday day games as all of those games taking place at night, uh, obviously for, you know, just scheduling purposes. But I don't know if you had, you know, again, we knew that those were going to be the divisions. We knew that they were going to try to dial it that way so that the travel, uh, was limited uh, amidst this virus and stuff. Uh, but any uh, initial reactions to this schedule, Brendan? I mean, really the only thing I would say that, that, Truly jumped out to me uh, was A, obviously you're going to end the season against the White Sox. There's pretty strong odds that those three games matter for one of these teams, if not both of these teams. So that'll be nice and intense and uh, certainly potentially very annoying. Um, But also, it's nice that the Cubs face the Twins towards the end of the year. They only have that one series against the Twins, uh, who are i you know I don't know if I want to call them the best team in that division. We'll see how it plays out, but uh I you know that's I certainly think they are how it, I really do I yeah think that's that how division. it was last year yeah. uh I mean, they're, and they're they did add Josh Donaldson too, so they're oh, a very they're good stacked. team, yeah, and you've got them at the end so i i i I look at that as a benefit uh I think that you know there's potential that they have locked up their situation by them with only six games remaining after mm-hmm. that point. Uh, and I, you know, I think especially with how soon the trade deadline comes in a season like this and just how important every game is, I think it's perhaps more important to get off to that good start, right? Win those games early, build up the, uh, build up a lead, or at least put yourself in that top level of contention for the division as quickly as you can, rather than having to play catch up. But, but anything else jump off to you as, as far as the schedule is concerned?
1: The only other thing that really jumps off is not having to go to St. Louis more than once. I think that's kind of a big deal. You get two Mm -hmm. series at Wrigley instead of the two series in St. Louis, so that's good to see. And when you look at the projections from Zips, the Cardinals, the Reds, Milwaukee, the Cubs, Zips projects all four of those teams to be separated by just one win, Corey, just one win. So those matter having to face the twins at the end of the season because they may have secured a playoff spot that matters not having to go on the road from day one to Milwaukee that may matter too so I I I like it you know it's going to be fun to see the Cubs play the White Sox in like legitimate meaningful games we've only had a handful of those in our lifetimes and most of those games happen during like June and July so having like the Cubs and White Sox face off in quite literally a playoff atmosphere will be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, so I think that is the gist of it, and I know some of you are thinking it. I I don't have an answer for you as to whether or not Marquis is going to get on Comcast. I don't know I uh, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I I just don't know about that. So uh, that's how it is. I know people are already concerned because that first game against the Brewers is on national TV, and that second game is also on national TV. The second game is on Fox uh, on the 25th of July. So obviously blackout concerns and stuff like that. I don't know, guys. So that I, I have not heard any update. They were confident when they were negotiating uh, to get the season back the marquee folks crane kenny were confident that they were going to strike a deal with uh comcast to get on the majority of cable uh platforms in the you know the city of chicago where the cubs play and are from uh but that is not the case as of yet so i i i don't know I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, I'm as kind of confused about that whole process and what exactly is happening there as you are. But hopefully that gets cleared up because I think obviously uh, if they're going to participate in a weird season like this, it would be nice if everybody could see it. I think that's a pretty low bar to uh, set for things. But this is Major League Baseball and this is a league that blacks out any game that they can on a regular basis. So that's kind of how that is. But other than that, I think that's all we have for you. Uh, It's been an eventful few days and and one that we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, um, just some scrimmages and stuff like that, like nothing crazily significant, but it feels significant. It feels significant just to have baseball back out there to have, uh, you know, starts to look at, to have stats to look at, and, and just to be able to comment on baseball things again. So that was fun and, and a welcome change, and, and we will stay on top of it for you uh, as long as we can. And uh, like I said, stay with us. Uh, we'll start doing twice a week at some point here. I don't know if it'll be this week or not. We're kind of playing it by ear just with what comes out of Cubs camp, what kind of coverage we're getting. Um, you know, with these first two scrimmages, we're kind of getting an idea of what we're going to be able to see, what we're going to be able to hear, what we're going to be able to read about. So stick with us, but that's that's coming uh, imminently. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, but other than that, as always, thank you guys for joining us. We will talk to you again soon, and we always... The following is a true story.
1: I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to Simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I had sold timeshare to, and I said, This is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare, or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884.
0: And by saying, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends,
1: whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Ah, hmm.